Welcome to Disrupting Japan. Straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for joining me. Today, we're going to talk about bionic legs. The real deal. A battery-powered, below-the-knee powered prosthetic leg that is already being used by amputees all over the world. And it looks pretty good, too. We're going to sit down with Shoujin Sun, or Sunny, as he likes to be called, the founder and CEO of Bionic M, who lost his leg when he was nine and spent the next 15 years determined to do something about that. And he did. Bionic M is a Japanese startup creating artificial limbs that are not just functional or practical or good enough, but are different and Innovative and, well, to be honest, kind of cool. We're going to talk a lot about Sonny's journey and the Bionic M prosthetic leg, but we also talk about why it's easier to launch this kind of product in America despite the stricter certification requirements, the challenges in figuring out who the actual customers for artificial limbs really are. And why Japanese universities have so much trouble getting their deep tech startups out of the labs and into the market. But you know, Sonny tells that story much better than I can. So let's get right to the interview. We're sitting here with Sonny Xiaojing, the founder and CEO of Bionic M, who makes a robotic prosthetic leg. and Thanks for sitting down with us. Ah, thank you. I'm very glad to be here. So, I've given a brief description of what you do, but I'm sure you can explain what Bionic M does much better than I can. So, what does Bionic M do? Yeah, we are a startup company, spin off from the Tokyo University. We are building a powered prosthetic leg to help the handicap uh, improve their mobility. Why is the Powered prosthetic leg important. What's the important part of having the the active? Currently, most of the uh, prosthetic is lump powered. We are developing something different from the current products, uh, which has a power to help user walk more easily, help them do something which they couldn't do with current products. It's battery powered, electric motors. What does it let users do that users of passive prosthetic legs cannot do? For example, it's very difficult for some elderly amputee to stand up、uh, because when they stand up with the passive prosthetic,、uh, there's low power to help them stand up. So they have to rely on their sound leg. If their sound leg doesn't work very well, it's difficult for them to stand up. Okay. So the, the power in the Bionic M leg duplicates the muscle power that is in a regular human leg for things like standing up from chairs or going up and down stairs and things like that? Yeah, you're right. It works like a muscle. So it will give a power to help a user do something. For example, when the user stand up, they can get the power from the prosthetic. So It's more easier for the user to stand up. Of course, they can do something like going upstairs or downstairs. 
Okay. And I want to really dig into the, the details later, but this is just, it, it's fascinating. So it's, it's battery powered. Mm -hmm. And so how long does it last on a charge? Is it charged like once a day and the user uses it all day? It can be charged fully uh, for three or four hours. So it can last for uh, one day. Oh, okay. So users just charge it overnight. Yeah. You are right. And how much does it weigh? Uh, it's about three kilograms. Three kilos. Oh, that seems quite light. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, we did a lot of work to make it lightweight. So yeah, it's quite lightweight. And, and tell me about your customers. Who's using Bionic M now? Uh, right now we are just commercialized our product this year. So we are develop our product to the U.S. market. So right now we are developing some kind of the business in the U.S. So we hope MPUT in the U.S. could use our product. So now it's just in sort of the, the testing and evaluation phases? Yes, we have done every test. Right now we will manufacture our product in September. So we are applying for the FDA in September and then uh, we will uh, sell our product uh, in the next year. Well, and, and I understand you are Bionic M's first customer and beta tester yourself, right? Yeah, you are totally right. In fact, I started to do this research from the university. At the beginning, I tried the prototype by myself and did uh, many improvements. After uh, we built the company, I'm also the first user to try every uh, new prototype. I have used this uh, prototype for over two years. Just to make sure our listeners understand what that statement means, <laughs> can you tell a little bit about your own story, about why this is a special passion for you? Yeah, I got my red leg amputated when I was nine years old because of the bone cancer. At that time, it was difficult for me to afford a prosthesis. So I worked with a crutch uh, for 15 years. 10 years ago, I got a chance to study in Japan. And then I got my first prosthesis, some financial support in Japan. It was great. It changed my life. I, my both hands could be free. I can do something which I didn't do before. Uh, so it was like your first time not on crutches since you were nine years old. Yeah, it's quite difficult because when you walk with a crutch, I cannot uh, hold an umbrella while it's raining. I cannot uh, take my own something when I go to a restaurant. So that's quite tough. Wow. And, and what happened then? It was great at the beginning, but after I used the product a lot, I also found there was some issue of current products. I was an engineer in Sony, so I was wondering whether I could design better product for myself and other people. After I think a lot, I should do this. So I quit my job and then came back to the university as a PhD student. And then I began to do this uh, research uh, in my PhD study. So the Bionic M project was started in 2015? Yeah, 2015. Yeah. And let's see, just so we can get the timeline. So 2015 is when you started this research project. Yeah. And Bionic and the company 
you started a few years later. Yes, uh, in 2018, I got my PhD degree. And then at the end of the 2018, I built this company. And you've gotten a steady stream of awards. I, I can't list them all here because the podcast is not that long. Um, but both in Japan and overseas. Mm -hmm. um, so have these awards led to partnerships overseas? Have they, have they led to uh, increased funding? Yeah, well, first I know uh, many people. Uh, so some of them are investors. Uh, we uh, talk about uh, the uh, investments, uh, about our company, and we, besides, we want to uh, develop our business in some countries so they can introduce some people, some key person. I think it's a great chance to to expand our network, mm. to know more people, to know more investors. So let's talk a bit more about the, the product itself. Mm -hmm. So what's the total cost for the, the user of these prosthetics? In fact, in the U.S., it's covered by the insurance. So uh, the reimbursement uh, will be uh, the uh, $45,000 U.S. dollars. So $45,000 in the U.S.? Yeah. And, and similar price in Japan? Uh, yeah, similar uh, in Japan. And it, is that high? Is that low? Is that average for prosthetics in general? Uh, it's quite high. Because it's a it's a high end product, so because it, it has a power, so it's better than the current high end product. So it's it's more higher than current high end product. Okay, what's been the reaction from the test users so far? Yeah, we did many tests in Japan, and we're also doing some uh, tests in US. Uh, we got many feedback. For example, uh, they found that it's more easier. It's less tiring uh, for them to use our product. It's more easier for them to stand up with our leg because when they use some traditional product, it's quite difficult for them to stand up. What's involved when someone is, is fitted for uh, a bionic and prosthetic leg? What's the, the process? Is there a lot of customization and training for each user? Is there a period where the user needs to be trained on how to use it? What's what's the whole process? Our product is a standard uh, one, uh, which means it's a mass production product. Uh, we don't do any customization, but uh, each amputee has different heights. Uh, so some customization should be done in this process. So we, we will sell our product to the prosthetic clinic where they will do the customization for the end user. They will make some interface, uh, which is called the sockets, to link their body to the processes. So they will make this socket by automate, and then they will uh, assemble our knee components with the sockets. So we, we don't sell our product to the end user directly. We sell our product to the prosthetic clinic well, actually, that was one of the things I wanted to ask you about. So in the marketing of this product, I mean, we know who the user is, but but who's the customer in the sense that who, who makes the buying decision? Is it the doctors or the, the, the technicians or is it the end users? Who, 
who really controls that decision, really? Uh, yeah, in U.S., it's the medical device. The doctor needs to give a prescription. So finally, the doctor will make a decision. But uh, most of the doctors don't know the prosthesis very well. So they will get some advice from the uh, technician, uh, which is called the CPO. But the CPO is low processed very well. They will do the fitting. They will uh, choose what kind of the knee component uh, should be used. So uh, they will talk with user. They will consider user's mobility uh, level and their body condition and their residual stamp and what kind of life they want in the future with the uh, processes. They will hear everything from the end user and then they will give uh, advice. And then uh, this advice will be given to the doctor. The doctor will write a note. This note will be delivered to the insurance company. So, so the key to the market really sounds like winning over the technicians mm -hmm. and making sure they understand the benefits. And... Yeah, you are right. Uh, so the technician is the most important key person uh, in this process. They will decide what kind of product should be used. And is that the same everywhere? Is that the same in Japan and the U.S.? It's quite the same in Japan and the U.S. So what's involved in getting a prosthetic approved as a medical device in, in Japan and in the U.S.? In fact, in Japan, it's a lot of medical device. We don't need to get any really? approval. Yeah, it's quite... Uh, easy to sell this product. There's no any requirements. Wow. Okay. But in the U.S. there is. Yeah. In U.S. it's medical device class two. So you have to get the IFDA clearance. If uh, this product should be covered by the insurance, you need to get the insurance uh, approval. But since it's not a medical device in Japan, does that mean it's not covered by the national health insurance? No. So it's not easy to sell this high-end product it's because it's not covered by the insurance. You mentioned that you're in process of getting the approvals, uh, hoping to launch soon. When do you expect to be able to get this? Yeah, we plan to launch our product by May next year. And, and how are you going to market? Are you going through partnerships with the major medical device manufacturers? Or are you going direct to the clinics? Well, right now, we are trying to get some partnership uh, with some company in the U.S. so they can help us deliver this product to the uh, clinic. Of course, if it's difficult to get a partnership with a company in the U.S., we also have a plan to deliver this directly to the uh, clinics. So the distribution plan is fairly similar in, in all the markets. Your first choice is to go through, find a medical device distribution partner? Uh, yeah, yeah. Our first choice is to find out a medical device distributor, and then uh, we will sell the product to the distributor, and they will sell this to the clinics. So. How, how big is this market? I mean, it seems weird to call it a market, but you know, sometimes, but I mean, how, how many people could this help? Yeah, in fact, uh, there are about 40 million amputees all over the world. 40 million? Yeah. Wow. It's a lot. 
Yeah, it is. And and how many of those are fitted with prosthetics? Quite different in each country. Maybe in developed countries, fifty percent of the amputee uh, have a prosthesis. But in some developing countries, uh, maybe thirty percent of amputee have a prosthesis. So, so looking at, for example, the U.S. market and the Japan market, how many people would you be looking at? Uh, in U.S., we did some uh, research. We found that there are about two million amputees, including above the amputee, below the amputee. Bionic M seems like a very different kind of product in this market in that you're marketing this as it's very much a technology company. So I know you're already at work on version two. And and there's something to be said for making it look cool, I think. <laughs> yeah. Is this something you see as your users, I don't want to say like a fashion statement, but, but more of a something more than pure utility and something more than pure functionality? Do you see your users like upgrading to new versions? Do you see it as that kind of a product? Uh, yeah, we really focus on the appearance. Currently, most of the products looks not so good. So the user tried to hide their processes. So we want to do something a little bit different. Uh, we hope that uh, this kind of the product could be a fashion, a personality of the user. So they can show their product if they want. Yeah, when they show their product, they will become more confident with their products. That's that's a very different approach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so you are thinking it in some ways is almost it's a statement about the user themselves. Yeah, hopefully, the device could be like the glass. In the past, the glass is for the people with some handicap on their eye. So right now, most people are wearing glasses, but they don't think they have any handicap. That's right. Glasses are just another fashion accessory. Yeah, yeah. It's a fashion accessory. So we hope that in the future, the prosthesis could become a fashion like the glasses. Uh, even some amputee uh, wear this kind of the prosthesis. It's a fashion. It's a personality, not a handicap. That would be that would be pretty amazing. So, in in your new version, what are you working on to to improve in the new version? Yeah, in fact, we have some feedback from the user because we have the motor in our product. There's some kind of sound. Ah, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Uh, some people like it. <laughs> they think it's kind of the uh, cyborg. Yeah, it's yeah. like a robot. <laughs> But some people don't like it because they don't want other people to know they are wearing a prosthesis. So this sound will tell other people they are using prosthesis. So they don't like it. So in our second version, we are trying to uh, develop some product which could be more quiet. So they can get the power from the knee, from the product, but it's more quiet. Other people don't know they are wearing a prosthesis. Earlier this year, you raised about $3 million. Yeah. So congratulations. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> what is that money used for? What's top priority for Bionic M right now? 
Right now, every money is used for going to U.S. market. So as I said, we, we need to get FDA clearance. Uh, we need to get the insurance approval. So right now, we are preparing for FDA application, uh, the insurance application. So it takes a lot of money. Mm. Yeah, we have uh, over 15 members. So it takes a lot of money to pay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, members. Tell me a bit about the manufacturing process. Where are you getting this manufactured? Because it's uh, an incredibly specialized device. Uh, I cannot tell you the name, but yeah, we, we are doing some kinds of OEM. So we design everything by ourselves, and then we will ask some company to uh, make this for us. Can you say whether it's being made here in Japan or whether it's in China? In order to reduce the cost, we are making our product in China. Okay. Your staff is split between Japan and China as well, right? Yes. Yeah. Is that mostly the hardware engineering group is in China, or how is the split working out? In fact, uh, most of our engineers are working in Japan. Yeah, they are Japanese. So very few engineers uh, stay in China. They are responsible for this kind of the smartphone application and some manufacturing. Yeah. But what does this smartphone application do? So the user can check everything with the smartphone application. For example, they can, they can know uh, the battery remaining. And besides, uh, the technician could adjust everything with the smartphone application uh, according to each user's request. For example, if the user want to walk more fast, the technician could speed up the, the power to make it more uh, walk fast. Yeah. I see. Because I was wondering about that. Because we all, I mean, in one sense, all us humans walk the same way, but it's pretty different, the, the way different people walk, not only based on like height and things, but like some people walk faster, some slower. And so you can customize that with the, the smartphone app. Yeah, we have a basic model uh, which could uh, simulate most people's walking, but you know, there are many kinds of amputees, for example, very high activity amputee, some low activity amputee. So we need to customize uh, these parameters according to each user's request. All right. And, and um, I'm, I'm curious, so you were talking before about the, the user feedback and the request from the users to improve the product. And before you mentioned the real decision makers were the, the technicians at the clinics. Did they give you similar feedback or did they have their own special needs and requests for the future product? Uh, in fact, we also got many feedback from the technicians. So they will have their user uh, try our product. So they can know what should be improved, what's the benefit the user uh, could get. So uh, we also got many suggestions from these technicians. So let's talk a bit about, about Japan and, and the University of Tokyo specifically. So it sounds like the University of Tokyo has been super supportive of your research and your spin out. In fact, I understand that, that a lot of the technology 
that went into the prosthetic leg is based on University of Tokyo research on on robotic bipedal walking. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They also provided you know research support, some investment connections. It sounds like a great program. Is there anything missing? Is there anything more the university should be doing to accelerate startups? Uh, yeah, I think uh, in uh, recent years, the university did a lot of work to help the uh, young students to build their company. I also got many support from the university. Uh, at the beginning, we don't have any money to rent the office. The university offer up as a place is located in the university, in the campus. We're sitting here in the middle of University of Tokyo campus. Yeah, it's very great. You know, in Japan, the credit is very important, which means it's not easy for a young company, for a startup to be trusted. So if we have a dress with the university, we can get more trusted. Well, I imagine that's especially true with medical devices and medical startups. Yeah, you are right. It takes time to develop the product. So it's related to human safety. So people take care of these companies' uh, status. So they really see well, where the company come from. Since we spin off from the university, we got many supports. We also got the uh, backup from the university. This is very important to us. Okay, so that credibility and that trust that comes with being a university spin-out is one of the most important aspects of the university support. Yeah, I think so. That makes sense. A lot of university researchers, either PhD students or postdoc, have a bit of a shock when they change from university-based research to product development research. Did you go through that transition? or It sounds like you were always kind of focused on the product from the very beginning. You know, I want to design a better product for myself. I quit my job from the company. So I had some experience about how to design products. So after I go back to university as a PhD student, at the beginning, I tried to develop a product uh, instead of doing basic research. So that's quite different for uh, other uh, researchers. Did your advisor try to get you to do more pure research? Yeah, because uh, my professor always told me, if you want to get your degree, you have to publish some paper, which should include some basic research. You know, this is something that I, I see a lot at Japanese universities. There's a real split between the applied research and the pure research and and. Japanese university research really strongly favors the, the pure research. Yeah. In the university, the professor, the students always spend a lot of time on their fundamental research. Uh, they are trying to do something different, something innovative. But it sounds like, I mean, UTech and some of the other programs have certainly helped and supported you in that. Yes. Uh, yeah. In recent years, the university also want to help the students to build their company. So there are many programs for those students who want to build a company. I use that program, so help me to build my company. That's great. Well, this is Sunny. Before I let you go, I want to ask you what I call my magic wand question. And that is, 
if I gave you a magic wand and I told you that you could change one thing about Japan, anything at all, the education system, the way the, the national insurance works, the way people think about risk, anything at all to make things better for startups in Japan, what would you change? Uh, I think people should be more open for the innovation for the startup because, you know, the startup company cannot make a perfect product at the beginning. So the, the customer or the people all around should have more patience for this startup, for their products, give them more tolerance, uh, give them more time to make their product better. Japanese customers are famously demanding. You're right. So you think it'd be easier if, if Japanese customers would be a little more forgiving of startup technology? Yeah, as you said, Japanese are very demanding. So it's a good. With this demand, people try to develop a good product. But, uh, you know, for a startup, it takes time, takes money to develop a perfect product. So the people should be more patient. The system should be more patient for this startup. If they have more patience, the startup will become better. There will be more more startup. I think so too. And that's one of the things in the in America. It's perfectly normal for a startup to go with with an MVP, a very simple, very scaled down product that basically works. And that's okay. Uh -huh. But from your experience in Japan, you can't do that. No, you cannot do that. You have to develop almost perfect product. If you cannot do that, you cannot deliver the, your product to the customer. I, I, I agree with you. And, and also like in the long term, it's kind of good because you end up with really high quality. Yeah. But I can see in the short term, that can be extra hard on startups. Yeah. But it sounds like you, you've struggled through that and made a success of it. Uh, yeah, kind of. Slowly? Slowly, yeah, it takes time. It takes seven years for us to deliver our product, so it's not so easy. Well, what, what kind of feedback did you get? What, what were the things that they were so strongly demanding about? What should, what should they have been more forgiving about? For example, the hope is to be more quiet. We did something. We tried to improve the noise, but it takes time to do this improvement. Whereas in the U.S., the users were a little more understanding? Yeah, we did some trial uh, in U.S. We found that in U.S. people could be more understanding the lawyers. They can accept the lawyers. They think it's quite cool. They think it lacks, uh, it's, uh, works like a robot. Well, it does sound cool. When you, when you came over to the door to say hi, it was like, it, it does sound cool. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on people. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, because it is, it's loud enough to hear for sure. Mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, that is, that is interesting. So the American style of like, okay, well, this is, it's not perfect, but it's good for now. Yeah. Would be much more useful in Japan too. Yeah, yeah. In US, we found that maybe they lack this design, they lack this appearance, or they, they lack this kind of the power assist function. They think it's good enough. Maybe noise is, is an issue. Uh, they, yeah, in the future, you need to improve it, but they can accept by the product now. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think a lot of founders probably share that experience. Oh, really? <laughs> in, in all industries here in Japan. Uh -huh. Well, listen, Sonny, I want to thank you so much for sitting down with me. Thank you very much for having me here. Yeah. And we're back. Sonny's experience really highlights one of the core challenges Japanese universities are facing today in productizing their deep tech research. The potential is huge, but as Sonny experienced, there's a strong bias in favor of abstract fundamental research and against the kind of applied research in engineering that is required to actually bring a new product to market. Oh, and for the record, the servo motors in the Bionic M prosthetic leg are pretty loud. I, I tried to make a recording of it for you, but I just didn't have the proper equipment with me at the time. The leg is about as loud as a quiet conversation, and it sounds a lot like the T-100 from the first Terminator film. It's, it's actually pretty cool sounding, in a futuristic robot cyborg kind of way, but uh, I, I can totally understand why that's not really what you want when you're walking to your desk through a quiet office. It's a cool sound effect that users will probably want the option to turn on and off depending on the situation. And that's something I love about Sunny and Bionic M's approach. Prosthetic legs can be used, and, and should be used, as fashion statements. And Sonny's comparison to eyeglasses make a lot of sense. Eyeglasses have long since moved beyond being a simple means of compensating for a disability and have become firmly established in the world of fashion, with many global fashion brands selling frames. Why shouldn't artificial limbs follow the same path? Sonny's vision is inspiring. It's one of making artificial limbs not just functional or good enough, but something that's different, innovative, and even cool. If you want to talk more about artificial limbs and medical innovation in Japan, Sonny and I would love to hear from you. So come by disruptingjapan.com show 206 and let's talk about it. And hey, if you enjoy Disrupting Japan, share a link online or just tell people about it. Disrupting Japan is free forever, and letting people know about it is the absolute best way you can support the podcast. But most of all, thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.